Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 265 of the show. We are recording on December 27th, 2022, so this will be the very last time that we record uh, in the year 2022. We've got a whole lot to talk about today. Uh, Gentlemen, I hope that both of you had wonderful uh, Christmas and holiday seasons uh, let's start with you, Keaton. You're uh, over there in Chicago after returning home from, from Minnesota. You have a nice Christmas, my friend? I did. Spent it up in Minnesota where it was uh, below zero every single day we were there. Um, it's cold as balls. Uh, Bob, how was the weather in your neck of the woods in Braintree? <laughs> was it similarly cold? So far from you, Jake. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, we hung in there to be expected. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't a white Christmas, didn't have to drive in any crazy weather or anything like that, but you know, we got through it. Everybody was happy. Everybody was healthy. So, um, you know, now I'm on the other side and realized that I didn't get anything for Christmas from the Red Sox and, uh, 
ready to match the level that you guys were on last time you spoke. Yeah. So last time we spoke was uh, right after Xander's departure and, uh, you know, pretty much immediately after that podcast, my body gave out and I got COVID and I have been sick for like the past two weeks. So um, it is true what they say that your uh, your body can be impacted by your emotional well-being. So um, I can I can vouch for that. That's a real thing. And, uh, you know, luckily I'm on the up and up. So uh, unfortunately, uh, Red Sox did not give us anything for Christmas, as Bob said, but We've got a whole lot of transactions to talk about today, so we're going to get you caught up on the state of the roster. Um, you know, we've got a whole lot of shows going on here at the uh, Over the Monster uh, Network podcast network right now, and they've all got different flavors. and And this one is going to be more roster focused. So uh, let's get right to it, guys. The Red Sox uh, have done a lot of transactions, as I said. The first one I want to talk about here is the DFA. And then trade of Hoy Park uh, for a player to be named later or cash to the Braves. Um, my biggest takeaway here was that they could have simply protected Thad Ward with this roster spot rather than picking up Hoy Park off of waiver waivers and then you know eventually trading him. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on the odd roster management that went around along with this and, and not protecting Thad Ward, who eventually goes 1-1 in the draft? Uh, the Rule 5 draft, it, it just seemed kind of odd. Let's start with you, Bob. Yeah, I think that you nailed it there. Um, you know, they, they could have protected him. I think the last time that I was on, we talked about Hoy Park, and I said something along the lines of he is probably the backup plan to the backup plan and may or may not be on the 40-man by the time that the season starts because that just seemed like it was probably a spot that they could churn if – you know, there was a free agent coming in. But then that really wasn't the case because they haven't signed too many free agents. And it's not like there was a, a roster squeeze because of a, a bunch of key moves. It was just kind of all right, we're gonna move we're gonna move on here. And it just seems like of all the egregious things that we've talked about and everything that's happened over the last year and the sour taste in your mouth. It's like the Thad Ward thing was so avoidable compared to anything else. Um, and I admittedly put too low of a percentage out there last time of the odds of him getting picked in the rule five draft. Um, you know, just kind of thinking that the relief kind of power relief arm type are more of a dime a dozen, even though I thought that they should have protected Ward. It turns out that he goes, 1-1 one, one in the Rule 5 draft after that. So obviously that's a huge miscalculation. And that's just a lack of understanding of your own roster. And it's just even more avoidable than a lot of the other things that were out of your control where you get outbid or the market was crazier than you thought it was going to be. It's like you got that guy there. You know he's one of your better arms in the in the minor leagues. And you let him go for nothing along with some other things. So... Um, even though it's a minor move and, and you know, you, you open with Hoy Park, right, on this agenda, it doesn't seem like the biggest move. But as it compares to Ward, it just kind of shows a huge miscalculation on their part. Yeah, and it's sort of in, endemic of all the different things that we've seen going on with this roster management by Heim Bloom. And, and speaking of Heim Bloom and, you know, things that are going to define his career, 
the team recently DFA'd uh, their, one of their biggest chips in the Mookie Betts trade, uh, Jeter Downs, who was claimed by the Nationals, the same team that um, drafted Dad Ward in the Rule 5 draft. Keaton, uh, I know you've been on the edge of your seat to try and relitigate the Mookie Betts trade here. But, um, you know, with this move and, and Jeter Downs now being out of the organization, coupled with you know, the things that Bloom has done poorly and not done and yada, yada, yada. I mean, how, how bad does this trade look at this point? Um, well, it doesn't look great, Jake. I'll tell you that. Um, but I never really kind of, as you alluded to, never thought it looked great in the first place. But I, I mean... I think we had kind of come to the conclusion that there really wasn't a spot for him anywhere. So I think, you know, prospects bust. It happens. He's been pretty bad basically since he left the Dodgers. <clears throat> Wait He's, a second. I can't let you off the hook here, Keaton. You okay. were on this show last time saying that he was going to be the starter at shortstop this upcoming season. Yeah, because at the time he was on the <laughs> roster. And at the time, who else was there? It wasn't like Hoy I Park. Him Hoy Park be. was there too, man. Yeah, and now they're both gone. <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah, it's basically he was he looked good until he got to Triple A, basically. Um, and uh, his two seasons at Triple A with the Red Sox have been pretty bad. Um, and then his his short little stint here in the the majors was pretty bad. Um, it's kind of how prospects go, which is which is why, which is why. This is like we had this debate, or not really debate, but like pointed this out several times when the Nationals were entertaining offers for Soto. It's like when you have a chance to acquire a talent like that, you give up whatever prospects you have to because the chances that they will turn into that established talent is like less than 1%. So you do it. And this is just a prime example of that. I'm sure they thought. There was a really good chance Jeter Downs could be something. Turns out he wasn't, just kind of like most other prospects. Um, and that's kind of what happened here. And it just fizzled out, didn't work, didn't have a place, uh, didn't perform. So there you go. Which is really unfortunate for him that he landed in Washington because they're quite notorious uh, for screwing up the mechanics of prospects. So uh, for a guy who's looking to, I guess, retool his mechanics, uh, that was a really bad landing spot for him. So just, I guess, wish him the best of luck. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for him to be more screwed up than he is right now. So yeah. hopefully uh, something good will happen with him. You know, Nationals are a smart organization. Hopefully something goes well for him there. But, you know, I'm one of the people um, that didn't take the Mookie Betts trade as hard as some others. You know, we've we've talked about how on this podcast we've talked about it a lot that, you know, I thought that the Mookie trade was somewhat defensible. Um, I know Brian Joyner took it a lot harder than I did. You took it a lot harder than I did, but I think Bob, you were a little bit more in line with me, but probably, um, still probably took it harder than I did. Um, you know, at, at the time, the narrative that I bought into was Mookie was intent on testing the free agent market. He wanted to set the market at his position. He rejected a $300 million offer from the Red Sox, which, you know, may or may not be true. Um, and 
the narrative that was being sold to us, which I bought, was that Mookie needs to go so Xander Endeavors can sign here long term. And now what we're seeing is that they screwed up the return for the Mookie trade. The only useful piece is Verdugo and Wong. Uh, and, you know, you can debate how useful those two guys are. Um, and now Xander's gone too. So what the hell was this for? If <laughs> if you don't have any of these guys and now you're pinning all your hopes on like maybe having one of these three guys long-term endeavors if you can figure anything out. And honestly, at this point, you'd be an idiot to have faith that the team gets a deal done uh, with Devers. So you sold Benintendi very low too. Like yeah. in the middle of all that, that doesn't get talked about as much. Yeah. You couldn't and, have and sold lower. He hit like 050 in like 18 games in a short season. And then I was like, all right, we give up. And he just signed a five year, $75 million contract too. So clearly He's regained a lot of his value. I mean, Bob, are you thinking of this trade differently now than you did when it happened? Yeah, and there's so many layers to what you are talking about, and we've talked about it plenty, and we don't have to revisit all of that. I think the pandemic happening and him bets taking the sure money that was in front of him at that time with a lot of unknown you know, anything that comes out after the fact, oh, he might have signed if you made this offer or he wanted to stay. It's all just revisionist history and who really knows what's true and what isn't and who the sources are. Um, I think it's impossible to look back at the trade and think that it looks better than it did a couple of years ago. I think they had a chance to acquire Gratterall as the third piece with Verdugo and Wong, right? And they didn't like the medicals on that. And things were up in the air for a couple of days, and then it landed on Downs. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, Downs and Wong were the replacement for Gratterall. Yeah. So um, I'd like Gratterall a hell of a lot more, and I think that would have solved some bullpen issues last year and maybe you know, wouldn't have forced you to overcompensate and sign a couple of arms this year. Uh, you know, That's not like it would have looked great, but it would have looked better if you had a couple of major league players that were in the league two or three years at this point and contributing. Um, I, I think on our, you know, 30 or 40 on deck podcast that Shelly and I did that downs was brought up on like every episode for the entirety of that show. And we spent like, you know, probably a third of our time talking about him because it was, that was kind of the story was just, he was supposed to be one of your, five best prospects he was what the trade was hinging on on your return and then you would look at the past seven days or the past month and he would be in a five for 50 slump with 28 strikeouts or something like just impossible numbers to fathom for a top prospect and you know you, you look at his fan page and sure there's 14 homers and 18 steals and you know, but the the K rates just got worse by the year and worse by the level that he went to, and it could have had to do with pretty much skipping Double A. Um, it could be a, a lot of different things, you know. But you, you look at a prospect who's been traded twice from Cincinnati to L A to Boston, and then you know he skipped Double A and then got there and just was never able to get it together to the point that he had absolutely no value even in a trade. So it, it has to be a failure of a trade at this point. Um, 
I think at the time when Bloom had just started and you, you said to yourself, what is the path here? What's the vision? There has to be a plan. And I'm struggling to see what the plan was with everything you just outlined between Bogarts, between Benintendi and Betts. And then with the situation with Devers, that is still salvageable, but you know you don't have great confidence after what you've seen. So Downs kind of uh, is the epitome of everything that's happened over the last three years to, to get into a place where there's a whole lot of articles that are being written about your team and none of them in a positive light. Does this mean Hoy Park was more valuable than Jeter Downs? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, man, what a state uh, for, for us to have, have gotten to here. Um, let's, let's move on to, uh, a piece that was acquired by the Red Sox at the trade deadline. Eric Hosmer, who was acquired for basically nothing. And, uh, the Padres paid all of the money. They sent Jay Groom to the Padres for Eric Cosmer, and, you know, basically the league minimum that they had to pay for him. Uh, the team granted him his release after they were ab- unable to get anything of value for him. Um, this was a surprise to me. Um, and one of the reasons why is because the narrative at the time with Eric Cosmer was, you know, he's a great defender. He's a decent hitter, um, you know, good clubhouse guy, bit of a dependable presence, plays every day. Um, you know, just kind of like a solid major league guy to have around and having him at the league minimum. Well, that's like a big win right there. And, you know, this is a chip that even if you don't use him in 2023, you can flip him and get something valuable for him. So I was really surprised uh, that he was allowed to, you know, leave for nothing. And I know that this was somewhat complicated by the fact that he has a full no trade clause. So he could essentially veto any trade uh, that that the Red Sox proposed to him if it was a team that he didn't want to go to. But were either of you two guys surprised that the Red Sox ultimately ended up getting nothing of value for Eric Cosmer other than like 14 or so games that he appeared in last year? I, I can start. I I didn't think it made sense at the time, but then when the Justin Turner signing happened, it made more sense to me because I think that Turner is your, your right-handed first baseman um you know if you need somebody to platoon with Cassis and also can be your dh and insurance um you know if there was an injury to Cassis. so for a couple of days it's like you're paying him the minimum um i i think it depends on who you ask about what kind of a clubhouse guy hosmer was i kind of heard some conflicting things in that sense so i wonder if that was a factor i also wonder whether they, as you said, is a no trade. Did they just want to release him at an early enough point that he could catch on somewhere, which isn't something that they've had to do or really should have been too concerned about, but that could have been part of it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I look at the last five seasons and his war is negative 0.5, negative 1, 0.8, 0.6, 0.3. I just, I don't know how much he was going to contribute outside of, well, he's free. Yeah, that was pretty much the only selling point there was he's free. And and I think that's a good point that you made about the clubhouse thing too because I think the major leagues are pretty much split down the middle. Like some people view Hosmer as sort of this old school kind of red ass type guy who just takes things too seriously and is probably tough on rookies and all sorts of stuff like that. 
um, and others, you know, like that. Um, right. So I think that's why he was probably a great fit for the Royals, who are one of those old school organizations, but kind of an odd fit for here in Boston, uh, even though Tristan Casas apparently really likes him. But um, I don't know. Keaton, did you have any thoughts on the uh, the Hosmer thing before we move on to talking a little bit about the deadline itself? Yeah, I mean, it was I was surprised by it just because I mean, for, kind of for the same reasons you outlined, just that he was um, free. But I don't really know if the Turner thing makes it make sense to me, to be honest, because you, you just kind of swap. They have they have the same, almost the, the same production from the plate. You just you swapped hands and swapped positions. So was that really what was more important? I didn't really buy uh, Bloom's explanation when they DFA'd Hosmer. They were saying they didn't want two left-handed first basemen and they didn't want anybody to be blocking Cassis, but Hosmer wasn't. He was your DH. There, he wasn't standing in the way of Cassis. So I didn't really understand that. Um, and Steamer has uh, Hosmer and Turner projected for nearly identical lines um, if they end up playing the same amount of games. Um, so I, I don't really understand. And they had pretty similar lines last year as well. Um, so I don't, I don't really get it. So I guess it was having somebody who could play third was more important to them. I you know don't want to throw them a tinfoil hat, but it seems like more um, – you know, negative news on the Devers front that it <laughs> more potential that he's traded uh, and they needed someone to play third on the roster for when that happens. And so they swapped Hosmer for Turner. So when Devers is traded, they have someone who can play that position. It's kind of what it feels like to me. I think Steamer's probably grossly underselling Turner's bat if it's the same as Hosmer. Um, I mean, he hit 319. 386 OVP in the second half and 44 games last year. Um, I don't know. I think Turner still, I think he can be a quality DH. I We're going to talk about him in a bit, but I think that's the best thing they've done, um, which isn't saying much. <laughs> it's pretty much the only thing yeah, they've right, done. At the bullpen, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I actually, I like what they've done with the bullpen. The Turner thing is kind of like, eh, to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think that he can play third base, especially if they're going to play Story there, which I I hope that they're not. But you can't have a earth? left side of Story and Turner. You won't feel the ground ball the whole year. It, you know, Turner being thirty nine. Oh, story at short. I thought you were saying Story at third. No, if My they yeah, Lord if they Bob, sign a second baseman and move Story to short and have you know Turner as your backup plan if you plan trade Devers. They yeah, just can't I. Do that. It just it feels like more confusion and. Still feels like a half move and not a full move, and oh, definitely, I don't really get it. But as far as like, they were never going to get from like a trade perspective. They were never going to get any value from Hosmer because uh, if somebody took Hosmer on, they would have had to take the money from San Diego. Uh, San Diego was only paying him as long as he was on the Red Sox, so there's nobody was going to take him on. So the he was the only way that they were going to get rid of him was either uh, they were really was by a release or they're going to have to hold on to him. So 
I don't know. Maybe there's more to come. I guess we're just kind of a wait and see. But it, yeah, it still just kind of feels like a half measure to me. I I definitely disagree, Keaton. Um, and I I think I'm a hundred percent more in line with how Bob kind of views Justin Turner here. I mean, looking at their lines over the last two years, uh, it's it's pretty shocking to think that Steamer would project them for anything similar because. Hosmer over the last two years is 269, 336, 389 with a 103 WRC+. Plus. Offensively, according to Fangraphs, he was worth negative 6.6 with 20 home runs. And Justin Turner over that time period, 40 home runs, uh, 278, 356, 456 with a 125 WRC+. Plus, uh, 30.7 offensive value by fan graphs and 6.6 war. So um, almost six war more than Eric Hosmer over that time period. And and really none of that is tied up in the defense either with Turner because his, his defense at third base wasn't particularly good. So I, I think he's a way better hitter. And I also do actually buy into the one of the few times I do buy anything Bloom says that uh, having a right-handed bat here was super important for for this team. And I'd be shocked if he played much third at all. I don't think he's actually going to play there uh, uh, other than like maybe five, 10 times during the year. I'd be shocked if it was more than that. I hope you're right. You know, those guys, the steamer, they know what they're doing though. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I need another right, projection so- system to look at. I've been looking at steamer for two months and I'm, I know, well, Steamer's the only one that's been released so far. So we well, Zips is being released in uh, drips and drabs right now. But yeah. once we yeah. get ATC, that'll be the the real the real that's good right. pro- projection. Right. So let's system. revisit it in a month, and we'll see if I change my mind. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Well, one thing that we can revisit right now, though, is how the Red Sox handled the trade deadline. And you know, I I distinctly remember uh, Keaton that we were just dizzied and confused by this trade deadline uh, this sure past were. year. Um, you know, the trading of Christian Vasquez, not trading J.D. Martinez, uh, staying over the luxury tax was just crazy, um, especially when we were 99% sure the team had no plans of re-upping J.D. in the offseason and the team is in last place at the time. So J.D. goes and signs a 10-year, 10 one ugh, one year ten million dollar deal with the Dodgers to reunite with his old hitting coach. So perfect spot for him and his bad back. Um, but the Red Sox now are left holding the bag because Xander Bogarts and Nathan Eovaldi have both signed with other teams. And uh, this is per a tweet from Ian Condell at Sox Prospects. He says if the Red Sox had got under the luxury tax at the deadline, they would have received picks seventy and seventy one of the twenty twenty three draft. For Bogarts and Eovaldi. Instead, they will receive picks 133 and 134. They also miss out on a million dollars in additional bonus pool money for not going off of the 20 going off of the 2022 slots. So that's a huge amount of money for the draft. And those two spots, I mean, God, the the caliber of player that you can get uh, at 70 and 71 versus 130 and 134. 133 and 134. I mean, that is just massive. So this just, this looks like one of the worst things that Bloom has done uh, since he's been here is this head scratching decision not to get under. Yeah, it sure does. 
and uh wasn't it not only was it a wasn't it a stay under were they already under and then the moves they made put them over no they wouldn't have been under with uh you're thinking of the fam move yeah they still the fam move didn't put them under they still would have been over at that point didn't help if if they traded JD, they would have gotten under. And there were teams, as reported by Alex Spear, that were willing to eat uh, all of his money. What the Trading. fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Keaton. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead, that Keaton. Again. We'll stand out of your way. Uh, so, Bloom's whole thing was they didn't think that they were getting enough value in trade offers for a month and a half of J.D. Martinez. And teams were offering to eat all the money, and he's like, you know what? We're going to take him in his big-ass slump, and we're going to keep him. What the fuck? (laughs) Keeping the band together, Keaton. Except for Christian Vasquez, you know, one of the most important pieces of said band. That was worth trading him just to get rid of the money and move up 65 picks for all of your qualifying offer losses was worth moving him in itself. Yep. On its face, that's a big enough reward as it is. And just like you said, Keaton, they were worried about the return. You you take any return. That team was going nowhere. We knew they were going nowhere. And it's funny because Ian was on our pod like two days after the trade deadline. So we were all having the same conversation. Um, and it wasn't totally clear what would have got them under because some of that tax stuff isn't totally available. But now we know that trading JD would have done that. Trading Ivali would have done that, which I would have been more inclined to trade JD because of what you just said there. And I thought there was a better chance that they would retain Ivaldi going into this season. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that's why when they offered the qualifying to Ivaldi for $20 million, it didn't seem worth it. Like, okay, you're going to, if you, you're not sure about Evaldi, which it seems like they weren't because they weren't willing to go two for 34, as we'll talk about later, but you were willing to offer the qualifying offer so that you can get the 134th pick in the draft back. What? That, that's nothing. We know what that is. It's usually nothing. Yep. It looks cra- that looks crazier than... The first few things we talked about. <laughs> I'm just, ta- I, I can't think of a smart, positive move. You know, well, you know, he was two steps ahead of where we were. We weren't seeing that. Where is it? He's not good at this, guys. He's really not good at this. Um, we've, we've gone from one idiotic thing to the next, and they just keep getting worse as we go down this list of transactions. So, yeah, it's it's not great. And this is one thing you Bloom defenders out there cannot blame. I'm sure there are none of you listening because at this point I've probably scared you off. But no, they're all um, gone. Yeah, they're all gone. They're, they're in hiding. But at this point, there's really nothing that you can point to with these things that you can blame John Henry for. I mean, I get that John Henry and ownership need a lot of blame in this whole thing, especially when it comes to the Xander thing. But these are just basic ass roster decisions that um, teams need to make and and make them effectively. And he's shown himself to be incapable of those things. It's not great. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's move on to the next bit here. Um, now that we've got a, a nice fired up Keaton DeRocher intel. I'm unhappy, uh, Jake. I know it. I know it. Maybe this will make you happy. The Red Sox traded reliever Jacob Wallace to the Royals for reliever Wyatt Mills. Uh, Wallace uh, has some of the better stuff or had some of the better stuff in the Red Sox system. Um, I saw him at Portland this past year and just a wipeout slider. Great fastball when he's on. Uh, the problem is that Wallace has massive command issues, so they swapped him and his nasty stuff. For Mills, uh, who pitched in the big leagues last year, poor results, mid-fours, ERA. But apparently he has some uh, John Schreiber-like characteristics in terms of his extension and a bit of a funky delivery. So do either of you guys have any strong feelings on the swap of Wallace for Mills? <laughs> wow. Really, um, uh Really, really strong feelings. In, in, I'm not going to get one. I'm not going to get all fired up about a relief pitcher for a relief pitcher. I probably didn't have strong feelings about John Schreiber a year ago, and yeah, he's got funky delivery. So maybe they see something that they think that they can harness. Um, I know that you like Wallace, so that's unfortunate. If we think that that is um, the lesser reliever that the Red Sox are acquiring, but I think it's exactly what you said. He's got a funky delivery. They might think that they can harness something, seen something on film, um, you know, can mess around with his options as a, uh, but, but I, I think, you know, you've got Taylor and Kelly and Ort and a lot of people that probably are ahead of him in the pecking order that aren't even on, the opening day roster anyways. So I think it probably is just a whole lot of nothing. And maybe you catch lightning like you did with Schreiber. I mean, his strikeout rates in the minors are quite bananas. Uh, his strikeout rates at the majors in a small little stint with Seattle and then with uh, Kansas City are really unspectacular. Uh, and his fastball velocity last year averaged 92. So, I mean, you can have as goofy a delivery as you want, but when you're averaging 92, it's not going to fool major league hitters. So I'm not super excited. 
I think ultimately we look back on this deal in a year and probably it doesn't matter one way or the other. Um, I'll even go one step further with you, Jake. I bet we don't even look back at this deal in a year. Well, I bet this is the only time we'll talk about it. At at the rate that the roster's been churning, you're probably right. Um, We probably won't look back at this, but I will just say that um, when I saw Wallace, I saw him in the same game as AJ Politi, Franklin, Herman, or German, I guess, or whatever he's going by these days. And, um, Brennan Walter and Wallace's slider was, in my opinion, the best pitch I saw that entire outing. So um, it makes sense for the Royals, right? Like take a shot on a guy with spotty command and crazy stuff and see if you can figure it out. And for the Red Sox, it does kind of make sense too because you're going to have to make a Rule 5 roster decision on uh, Wallace at some point. So I don't know. It's It's fine. It's fine either way. I don't yeah. really care. All right. Red Sox, uh, as we mentioned before, signed right-handed hitter DH type Justin Turner, a uh, move that we wanted them to make. Uh, Bob, you mentioned it being a great fit. Keaton, you're a little bit more s- skeptical here, um, but we'll wait and see on that one. I guess my last question here, uh, closing it out, it is a two-year deal that's a little bit more complex if you want the details on that. Uh, Alex Spears spent far too much time trying to figure it out and uh, did. So go to his Twitter feed. But um, Abreu was kind of the guy we all wanted for that right-handed hitting DH role, uh, backing up Casas. Did you guys see any other um, better options out there before Turner signed to be DH and play some first base um, other than, than, than Turner? So you would have preferred Trey Mancini to Justin Turner? Yes. Very much so. Um, Well, he's like a decade younger, for one. Uh, And I think that he's a much better hitter and can physically play the field. I feel much more confident about that. Not only first base, also outfield if you needed him in a pinch. Okay. How about you, Bob? I think... This is a bigger point. I don't think that they were aggressive enough early in free agency and they waited until... I know this isn't the question you asked me, but it has to do with Abreu. I think they waited for the Bogarts domino to fall. And then so many dominoes had fallen before that that were good fits for them, such as Abreu, such as a couple of trades. I would have bought low on Jesse Winker from Seattle as a DH type. I think that they went in, they needed to be aggressive at the beginning of the offseason. They weren't, they waited for the Bogarts thing to happen. It didn't. And then there really was nothing left except to crazy overpay for Correa, which we don't know what's going to happen there or pay Swanson or, you know, there's just so much had fallen off that happened at the very end of the winter meetings and like 80% of the relevant free agents were gone. They needed to be aggressive from the beginning. They weren't. They needed to see that people were getting more money than they anticipated and make an adjustment somewhere. You could still, other than the leadoff hitter, whose name is escaping me, that was the only place that they were really aggressive and overpaid. And it was kind of a weird place to overpay because in some minds they overpaid by like $40 million. Um, So I don't know. I feel like there was not a plan B, C, or D 
And now this is the result, a confusing roster that has multiple moves that still need to be made. And the only option to do that is pretty much through trade, other than some middling free agents that are left. Um, and it's not much different than it was last year because they waited to the last possible minute in March and signed Trevor Story. And if the Story thing hadn't worked out, there was nobody left. They would have had to make a panic trade or go in with more holes in their roster than they did. And I don't see this offseason as a whole lot different than that. And I think they could have set the tone by bidding aggressively on a Bray or a type like that or making a trade early on for someone to replace Martinez. That's so self-inflicted, though. Like, waiting for the Bogarts domino to fall. Of course. They could have pushed that over themselves. That's like staring at a row of dominoes. They could have been aggressive telling themselves, well, I'm waiting for that first one to fall. It's like, fucking push it over, guys, and then they'll all go. But they didn't do anything in between, right? They signed Jansen. No, they just uh, put out rumors that they were in on everybody else who was signed. Yep. Andrew Heaney. Um, Abreu, and they went and signed Jansen and Yoshida the same within 24 hours of the Bogarts news, which is fine. Uh, you know, we all liked the Jansen signing, and Martin, we like what they did in the bullpen, but I mean, this, you look at this lineup, it's not great. And just so, every hour you'd get an alert about someone else that had signed that seemed like they were a decent fit and <clears throat> by the time that that news dropped after all those rumors throughout the day that were conflicting and confusing and all were scott boris based as he was sipping on some orange juice and celebrating the yeshida signing as bogarts was signing elsewhere you know from his phone or whatever he was doing at that point it was just they waited too long they waited too long a year ago with story, they waited too long a year ago with extending Bogarts, and they waited too long to be aggressive. And now it's just going to be a whole lot of mediocre. And if it's if I'm high in bloom and my job is on the line this year, you have to think if this year is a failure that he's not going to have a job a year from now. There has to be something else coming. I refuse to believe that this is going to be the roster. So at this point, that has to be trades. It has to be multiple trades. But there needs to be a bat. There needs to be a rotation arm that is coming here that is something that we don't see yet because i don't know what it is i'm not even going to try to guess what that is at this point but if your Probably job is on the is. line you're not just like you know what i want to hang on to this 23rd rank prospect at this point he you have to do something you don't think uh three last place finishes in four years is gonna earn a promotion no weird no i i think if they're in last place at memorial day that he's gonna be gone oh. so i just i don't I don't think this is the roster, but, you know, Arizona seemed like a good fit, but they ended up kind of making the perfect trade with Varsho and getting uh, Moreno back uh, and Gurriel. They almost still seem like they have an extra bat with Gurriel going back in the outfield. That still seems like a good fit to me. I don't know if that will happen, but um, I think it's two trades. So to answer Jake's question, is there a better DH option out there? Oh, right now? Sure, yeah. No. That was was his question. Yeah, I know. Thank you for finally someone answering Jake's question. I appreciate it, Keith. (laughs) I didn't have my chance two weeks ago, so I had to get something out there. Um, No, I mean, Nelson Cruz, right? And he's not going to get what Turner got. That's the only other one I can think of. I don't have the list in front of me. 
Yeah, Cruz is a is a good one. I, I don't know. Maybe Keaton, this is gonna make you happy. Maybe the universe is going back to where it's supposed to be. But I'm gonna be optimism guy here with Justin Turner. I I would actually argue that after Abreu, Justin Turner was the best option for this team. Um, to be. Why would that make me happy? Well, because I'm returning to my normal place. You know, for <laughs> for a while I had been, uh, you know, the the Debbie Downer on the show. But rather uh, a good team. Well, yeah, we'll work <laughs> on that. We'll work on that. New Year's resolutions coming up here, buddy. But I want to make a dumb bet with you that um, okay, Justin Turner will outperform um, Trey Mancini in 2023 in the category of offense on fan graphs, which combines batting and base running. Um, I think that he will be more valuable than Mr. Mancini. Um, And I'm going to go out even further and say that he is going to be more valuable than even JD Martinez with LA next year. I think he's going to have a really good year Uh, because I actually, I didn't realize quite what a big Justin Turner fan I was until um, <laughs> he he signed here. But yeah, I've always really liked his game, um, and I think he's an excellent hitter. Uh, so I'm I'm excited about this signing. I accept your bet. All right, all right. We'll we'll figure out details uh, later, and we'll keep you guys updated. But um. Let's move on to another minor signing, and this one is quite literally a minor signing. It's a minor league transaction, um, but for a major league player, infielder Nico Goodrum, uh, known for his stint with Detroit, uh, spent a little bit of time with Houston last year as well, signed a minor league deal with the Red Sox. Um, this is a guy who's kind of an interesting power-speed combo and not exceptional, definitely not a high on-base guy. But um, I guess my question to you guys is with second and shortstop not solidified at this point by any means, uh, is there a pathway where Nico could end up playing short or second every day uh, for this team? Or is this simply a depth move? I mean, is there a path? The way things are looking right now, uh, sadly, yeah. Um, I, I question the power note though um but i mean his strikeout rates are like chavis-esque here um that's really not exciting yeah i guess his his iso has always been under 200 but um 170 150 187 isos for a middle infielder is not bad in his heyday um but yeah he's i think it's insurance you know or arroyo is injury prone if kike is in the outfield and uh, you know, Royal gets hurt. Maybe that's your backup middle infielder. He has good defensive metrics, it appears. So um, I think it's more injury insurance with a minor league contract. No guarantee there. For what it's worth, his max exit velocity has been dropping um, since 2018. So not trending in the right direction. Um yeah, I don't think this is the answer either, but I don't hate it. All right, let's talk about starting pitchers, guys. Um, with the news that Nathan Eovaldi signed today with the Rangers, and this is per uh, Jeff Passan, uh, Nathan Eovaldi signed with Texas. The base salary for him is two years at $34 million, $17 million AAV. 
Um, there are bonuses up to $3 million a year if he reaches 160 innings pitched, so banking on his durability there. Um, and if he throws 300 innings from 2023 to 2024, uh, he has a $20 million option in 2025 with another $3 million in bonuses, which would take the deal to three years and $63 million. So a pretty nice little payday for Nathan Eovaldi, who um, when we last were on here together, we talked about, and I didn't even want him back at one year at the qualifying offer because I was so sketched out about his health. But um, what do you guys think about the deal that Eovaldi was able to land? Let's start with you, Bob. Was this a good deal for him? I think he did well, and with that, now that I'm seeing that additional detail with the bonuses and the possible third year, it seems like he can get over sixty million. That is, um, that's certainly a good deal for him, and it makes Texas's rotation, you know, with him and a couple old friends and Martin Perez there, and adding Heaney and Degrom, and already having John Gray. That's a really good rotation. So um, we'll see what Texas can put on the other side of the field, but the pitching is is very good albeit a bit risky, but I no, I think that's a good deal for him. At first, you know, thinking that it was two for 34, I was surprised that they were willing to go one for 20 and not add a $14 million second year if they were willing to do that. Um, I was also against offering the qualifying offer and I think just post a couple of Tommy John surgeries and diminished velocity last year, I was okay moving on. Okay, moving on with with him as well as a couple other starters that uh, you know have moved on, including Rich Hill today. Um, but I was only okay with that if they are bringing in comparable arms, and that hasn't happened yet outside of you know Paxton opting in. And what are you conceivably going to uh, be guaranteed with James Paxton next year? So I I wouldn't at this point. Not knowing what what's ahead in the rotation, it wouldn't have been the worst thing if he came back at this deal. But I was okay with letting him go. Well, Keaton, I mean the 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 question I have for you is with your boy Michael Waka. Um, Waka is the only pitcher who uh, is unsigned from the Red Sox from last year. Um, as Bob mentioned, Hill got the one year eight million dollar deal with the Pirates. Um, you've been a big Waka guy. Aside from Corey Kluber, he is the top starting pitcher uh, on the market at this point. Do you think they should bring back Waka at this point with the uncertainty that does lurk in this rotation? And Bob talked about Paxton, but there's also Garrett Whitlock and Hauk and all these other uncertain guys. Do they need to go out and get Waka at this point? Um need i would say no they could do something via trade instead but if they are not going to pull that off i think it would make a lot of sense uh they clearly were able to unlock something with him and have success with him um so i wouldn't be afraid of him being able to repeat that um i think the thing is he's coming off such a successful year that he's probably looking for a really long-term deal like four or five years. Um, I don't know if I want to go that far with him. Like, wouldn't mind like a little, little two-year deal. Uh, he's probably looking for something more than that. So I just don't know if that... If they're going to be able to align on the terms. But 
I mean, whether it's Walker or somebody else, they need to have some kind of insurance because the rotation right now is like a history of pitching like 80 innings for the course of an entire year. So they're going to have to get innings from somewhere else. So they got to find a way to add. Uh, and you know he can have a nice successful year in Boston and in the elites. So it would make sense um, if they can come to, to terms or something. I don't – I would be – as much of a fan as I am, I don't – I don't know about locking in a, a real long-term deal with him. So I don't know. I'm more but, into your idea, Keaton, of Pablo Lopez after seeing what yeah. has happened in the NL East in the last month. There's no way the Marlins can think that they're competing in the next year or two. And, probably and he's already been tossed around in trade discussions. So yeah. Marlins are listening. Just swoop in and take him. It's a it's a good name to bring out, um, and just the arms race of the <clears throat> that the Braves and the Mets, uh, and then the Phillies coming off of the NL crown. Yeah, I don't can't know forget how... the Phillies, man. Right, they're nasty. Exactly, they've been quieter, I guess. But um... he signed Trey Turner, and they've been quieter. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that. It shows well, you how crazy the, the, baseball the, the is. The way right that now. the Braves are building their roster with extending. Everyone on their rookie deal, and um, that's going berserk. Yeah, so I just don't. I I think I think that what has happened recently increases the chance that Lopez could get dealt, and they still would have a really good rotation with Alcantara and Luzardo and Edward Cabrera and Trevor Rogers, and they've got got like six guys in the high minors that could be like SB twos. Yep. Um. So yeah, the more that I've thought about that, I think you're onto something is uh, a name to target there. I would love Pablo Lopez, and I think they should absolutely do that. And that would be my preference over signing Waka or Kluber. But I would rank those things for me personally. I would say Pablo Lopez would definitely be one. Two for me would be Corey Kluber because I think you can get him on a one or two year deal. And I actually do think he's a better pitcher than Michael Waka. Um and Waka, I agree with you, Keaton. I mean, he's 31. He's coming off his best year maybe since 2015. Um, yeah. Maybe 2018, you could say, was close to as good. But I think really 2015 is the, the last year that you can look at that he was this good. He's going to take the longest deal that anybody's going to give him at this point, I would expect, yeah. with with his health issues. And it seems like Bloom has had a hard-on for Corey Kluber for – I don't know, years at this point. It seems like every offseason we're rumored to be connected to Corey Kluber. Um, and I love Kluber. So, you know, give me that slider uh, here. And, he still uh, has good, like, pitching plus numbers, stuff plus numbers, Kluber does. Um, yeah. At t- I, like you said, at this point, beggars can't be choosers. And I think, you know, without a trade, it makes sense. And it's he has had some arm issues in the past, but it's a veteran arm that might provide a little bit of stability. And I don't know. It, it could be negligible with Ivaldi. He made uh, 31 starts through 164 innings last year. There you go. And was worth three wins. And that was the most he's thrown since 2018, where yeah. I believe he may have won the Cy Young with Cleveland in 2018. Um, that was one of his his years. He had a two point eight nine ERA that year, but 
Yeah, and he only he walked one phenomenal. batter per nine last year, so really good control. I think he's got something left. He could have a little Charlie Morton type resurgence. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, definitely don't think the stuff is coming back to that level. But let's talk about that rotation. There've been uh, some. Uh, rumors floating around and I don't know how credible these rumors are but apparently the Red Sox have been approached about Chris Sale in the 55 million remaining on his contract um, t- teams are looking to trade uh, they look at the Red Sox roster and they're like what do you need that guy for when you're going to finish last place with this crappy team um, so apparently they're they're looking into it the Red Sox haven't been really enticed but would you guys entertain the idea of trading Chris Sale? Let's start with Yuki. Not right now. I don't think it makes sense right now because he's coming off of, I mean, basically two back-to-back lost seasons. Um, make him prove that he can get out on the mound and be healthy. I don't really make him prove, but allow him to prove that he can get on the mound uh, and be healthy and closer to the trade deadline when teams are getting more desperate. That makes way more sense. Um and this isn't the last year on his deal, so it wouldn't be like a rental. I think there would still be value in getting like 60, 70 innings out of sale and then trading him um, with more uh, years still left on his deal. Right now, I don't think you would get a whole lot from him because the the recent history with him is really bad and he has a whole lot of money left on his deal. Um, so I don't think it makes a lot of sense to do it now, but... Over the course of the year, of the season of 2023, sure, I would entertain it. Yeah, that's a phenomenal point. If he can go out there from the spring and pitch like Chris Sale, and if the team finds themselves out of it at that point, you're going to get an absolute haul for Chris Sale. And I would definitely do that at that point. Where are you with this, Bob? Yeah, I I think Keaton nailed it. I mean, if if they are in last place, a team can look at this and say, we've got half a season we've got a playoffs and then we have all of next year if he is chris sale from your perspective you're in last place you're only selling a year that's remaining um when he's pitched it's not like he's been getting his ass kicked he has been good after the surgery but he's been hurt and we don't have to go over every injury it's ridiculous how many times (laughs) he has been hurt and he's not had a healthy um solid season since 2018 so this will be five years removed from that, and I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but when he's out there, he looks like 90%, 80-90% of vintage Chris Sale, <clears throat> and he did in the playoffs, um, you know, in the start against Tampa Bay, and he looked pretty good in his first start back this year, and then he gets hit with a line drive, and we know the story from there. So I don't... I feel like um, there is a possibility of him to be that guy again. It's not somebody who, you know, I think of like uh, Jose Barrios or someone like that who's just been getting uh, racked incessantly for a, a while now. I mean, sales look pretty good when he's been out there. He just hasn't been out there. So I, I know that the, yeah. the health risk is an F. I totally get it. Um, but I, I think that he can build that back up. Yeah, if you're... We mentioned Ben Benintendi earlier. It's the same thing if you sell him here. You're selling at the lowest possible point you could sell Chris Sale. Yeah, and I think that's probably why teams are inquiring at this point too, try and get in low. But yeah, they, they would be silly to do that. I think the interesting thing to think about with this too is 
if Chris Sale is Chris Sale, um, what are the odds that the Red Sox are in last at that point and even willing to entertain uh, trading him at that point? So, Still pretty good because the rest <laughs> of the division is quite talented. Yeah, there's a couple uh, pretty good teams in this division. I think you could argue the Jays got better. Yankees definitely got better, uh, adding Rondon. So, yeah. Orioles were already trending up, so. Yep. Yeah, still pretty high. Yeah, Tampa Bay is uh, pretty good. Not sure how the offense is going to score runs right now. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely going to regain my role as optimism guy now. All right. Um, it's all spe- yours. Speaking of Tampa Bay, the Red Sox have had a puzzling uh, – amount of interest in Joey Wendell, who played for Tampa Bay last year. He was really a utility guy. He played a mixture of second base, third base in shortstop. I do not understand why the Red Sox are fascinated with him other than the fact that he plays in Tampa Bay and apparently Bloom fetishizes people who play in Tampa Bay. Um, I would like the team to just simply sign Elvis Andrews or Jose Iglesias to play Shortstop, why do you guys think that they are intent on going after Wendell in a trade rather than just signing a guy? Well, first, right now, he plays in Miami. Oh, right. Yeah. Still um, in Florida. He's still throwing in, in the Pablo Lopez yeah. deal. Yeah, that's right. So there I don't you know go. Why. <laughs> for, for me, Wendell will always be a Tampa Bay Ray. I don't know why I just have that ingrained in my head. It's little some some little bacon bits on top of the Pablo Lopez baked potato. <laughs> All right, so he's he's in uh, Southern Florida at this point. But any other reason why you can think that this is a good idea? And his three home runs and twelve stolen bases. Nope, plays a lot of positions. That's it. I don't really think he's an everyday player. What's his um? defensive metrics i want to look that up i i agree with andrus i think iglesias is more of a second baseman and a really good second baseman defensively and you know can still hit for average as we saw one of the hottest stretches in that three weeks that he was in boston two years ago and he's continued to hit for a good average i i don't want to play story at short i think he's going to be a really good second baseman and with new shift rules that position is going to become even more important um, to have a good defensive player there. And I think Andrus makes more sense if you're going to go the free agent route uh, than Iglesias, just because I think Andrus was something like six outs above average at short. Um, yeah, and Again, and I need Andrus more moves than that, pop. but I think it makes more sense. Sorry. Yeah, he's. I mean, I was just saying, Andrus has had some resurgent power. He had a really good power year uh, out in Oakland last year. So I think Andrus makes the most sense. Um and Joey Wendell, as far as defensive metrics, I mean, he's graded out positively every single year, uh, and especially over the last two seasons, he's had his two best seasons from a defensive standpoint. So, But that's been playing a mix of, of positions, so it's kind of kind of difficult to know exactly how he'd fare at a shortstop. But, it, it, I mean, it seems like a, a second... Um, Slightly better Nico Goodrum. I don't understand. It's it's not really a starting player. It is interesting with Andrus after he was traded to Chicago at the trade deadline when they were buyers, even though it didn't work out. 43 games, he had 9 homers and 11 steals and hit 271 for Chicago. 
So combine that with, um, you know, solid defensive metrics. It's intriguing. It's <laughs> not nearly as intriguing as everybody that's off the board. Um, but if you asked me who's left, I think that, that I would go for that one. Bring in Elvis, the king. You can see it right now. What would he uh, come to the plate with? Oh, would I'm going to add that to my New Year's resolution list, King Knight. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have to come to the plate to, to an Elvis song, right? I mean, it would it'd have to do Elvis Knight. The bobbleheads alone would be worth uh, yep. him, him coming here. I don't really – do you guys listen to Elvis? I don't listen to Elvis. I don't think I, like I can tell you anything except for that he did that song, Hound Dog. My dad was a huge Elvis fan, so I didn't have a choice growing up. Nice. So you're familiar with uh, with a lot of Elvis tunes. Yeah. What's You got a favorite? You're going to have to get back to me on that question. Okay. All right. Well, uh, before we get to our New Year's resolutions for this team – do you guys want to weigh in on any particular ads you want to see this team make before opening day? I guess I'll start. I would add Elvis Andrews. Uh, what would you guys do? Trey Mancini. Corey Kluber. Elvis Andrews I agree with. Trey Mancini um, and uh, Pablo Lopez. Yeah. Where would you play Trey Mancini at this point? Everywhere. <laughs> You're you're just gonna fit him in with a shoehorn. It doesn't even matter if he makes sense yeah. at this point. Second base, I don't give a shit. All right. Well, let's I would add. Um, what what about Cattell Marte from Arizona? Ooh, I'd like that a lot. You okay. really want to make a trade with Arizona? I do. Yeah. Can we make that? Happen? Hey, I'd be happy with that. I like Cattell Marte a whole lot. I don't the article, think... right? Yes. So. He has like five years left, and it's not like it's a crazy team-friendly deal. Yeah, he signed an extension. I have to get the exact numbers, but it's you know five for eighty or something along those lines. And I don't know that that is considered a bargain, but I think that um, it's a little complex with Turner um, and Yoshida, oh, yeah. right? Both being kind of DH types. Yoshida might play a little bit of left field, but I think that Marte could play left field at Boston. Um, you know, I know that the outfield experiment didn't go as well in Arizona, but has some middle infield experience. But that moves story to short. But I'm just running out of ideas at this point. So <laughs> I'm trying he to does. think of a, a middle infielder that, that could be moved. He's got five years in a club option. Okay. Four or six. And it, I think that a year ago it seemed like a team-friendly deal, and then he had a down year, which he's probably had two out of the last three of that. I mean, given the landscape of contracts, though, it still seems quite reasonable. Yeah, I think he was really impacted by the baseball and the humidors and stuff like that. um, He's not hitting 30 homers again, for sure. Yeah, he was was one of those guys that kind of had surprising pop for his size, but he's still a really good baseball player, really good OBP guy. I would definitely welcome him. to this mix for sure. It's a good idea. Um, final segment though, before we get to listener questions is one new year's resolution for the Red Sox. Um, let's go ahead and start with you, Keaton. 
All right. This may seem like one of those resolutions that you write down and you're like, that'd be nice, but I'm probably never going to get to it once. And then a year later, you look back and you're like, yeah, that had no chance. But I would like the team to have a vision, like the organization have a vision for this roster and then execute it. Uh, it seems like they don't have that. Um, and then because they don't have that, it keeps changing constantly, uh, which keeps leaving the roster worse and worse at every step of the way. Uh, last offseason seemed incredibly incomplete. And one of the things we talked about was uh, trading Renfro seemed like step one of a two-step process of moving Renfro and then acquiring someone else to play the outfield. That just never happened. And I hope that was the case because um, I hope the plan wasn't just to play with worse outfielders. Um, and then the trade deadline obviously was absolutely baffling. So don't know what, what the plan was there. No idea what the plan is this offseason. It seems like their vision for the roster was Abreu is going to be here and Bogarts is going to be here, and that hasn't happened. So whatever the vision is for the roster now, come up with a vision for the roster and then whatever it takes to execute it, execute it, and then see if it works. Even if it means you have to overpay for somebody, if that's your vision for the team, make it happen. Because if you have a vision but then set strict guardrails for yourself that you just won't cross, somebody else is going to beat you to it, and then that ruins your whole vision, and then you have to pivot, and then you have to go to somewhere else, and then you're still setting guardrails for yourself that you're not going to cross and then you're just setting yourself up for failure and the team just keeps getting worse and worse and it's extremely frustrating and no one knows what the hell's going on so i would really just like the organization to have a vision for this roster and then just execute it and then if it doesn't work at least they had they tried something and i would give them credit for that but right now i don't know what the fuck they're doing so you seem that's frustrated. I'm quite frustrated, yes. Yes, I'm gathering that. Bob, what's your plan for your New Year's resolution for the Red Sox? Red Sox need to have a plan, a marketing plan, to get people into the stadium, because I can promise you right now that no one's going to come to the games. And <laughs> between the Celtics and the Bruins, that hasn't helped in the last few weeks either. Um and then they raised ticket prices again, and they now have the highest ticket prices, or still have the highest ticket prices in all of baseball. And I'm going to continue to pay it because I have nothing better to do and I don't have a spine. But for everybody else that they need to get into the stadium, I think that they should... Remember the, the Vex that owned the White Sox? They need dollar beer nights. They need a... And maybe instead of disco demolition, they could do a techno night. Um, to be a little more modern, they could Whoa, have. Are you um, saying that you dislike techno music? I love techno music. I would. Okay. I would attend uh, to so hear. So it's not the a techno, techno demolition. You're just saying celebrate techno night. Sure. Yes. Okay. Let, let's you. have a celebrate techno night. I'll go to that. Uh, the 
they could have them playing in shorts like the White Sox used to. I mean, I remember the the TD Garden had some college Thursday nights where they would have $10 tickets. They're going to have to maybe take that approach. Um, Elvis Andrus King Night, we just added that. Um, you know, they'll be playing Elvis, something along those lines. You have to have a Reese McGuire night. I'm not sure what that would be. Maybe you get like five <laughs> minutes by yourself. Oh, um, dear God. Something along those lines. But <laughs> I feel like we can build on this, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. So let me ask you, as you're setting your promotional schedule, Bob, if you happen to, say, have a three-game series against the Cardinals uh, during the 10-year anniversary series of the 2013 World Series where you beat the Cardinals, would you schedule a uh, 2013 World Championship bobblehead during that series? That would make sense. You if, I was, if I was in charge of marketing there, I would choose the Cardinals series. You wouldn't do it against the Reds? I wouldn't. I would probably choose the anniversary of the Reds World Series matchup for that. Cool. Even well, though they lost. but The real-life Boston Red Sox did just that. <laughs> They they have a home series against the Cardinals, and they chose to celebrate the World Series against the Reds three weeks later. So I need to be in charge of marketing, you're saying? Yeah, you do. Okay. I'm just trying to imagine how Bob's uh, dollar beer night would go with Sully, Fitzy, and Murph from Southie rolling up and uh, <laughs> figuring out that they can drink 30 Bud Lights for $30 <laughs> at a baseball game. Yeah, It'd be uh, be quite something. I'm so rolling I'm, through Murphy's Law on the way in, <laughs> and bringing the whole house. I I uh, you know I I appreciate that, and I will attend that night just to witness the chaos. Um, my uh, New Year's resolution for the Red Sox is for John Henry, and I think that John Henry needs to make himself more available and accountable to the public since we haven't seen John Henry. Or heard from John Henry, and at this point, I'm kind of thinking it's like a weekend at Bernie's situation. Um, I want to see him speak um, and tell us what the hell is going on uh, instead of just making Bloom take all the shots. Uh, I'd like Mr. Henry to get up there and explain to us what the hell is going on and why he's treating this baseball team so bad. This team that has propelled him to great wealth and which he's leveraged all his other purchases off of. Uh, it's all on the backs of the Boston Red Sox. So, you know, the least you could do is tell us why you're screwing us. You go up if there with is, LeBron. Oh, if it is a weekend at Bernie's Sitch, who who are the people puppeteering him? Uh, definitely Lu- Lucino would love that. So, <laughs> Can't you imagine? Yeah, you're right. He would. Lucino, he would just... <laughs> tape his body to a broomstick or something and just travel <laughs> around with them. Shake him every once in a while. I mean, the guy kind of moves like that anyways. So, Well, after we... Brian's Joe Morgan idea, the last podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bring Joe Morgan back from the dead. Oh, well. I believe that's yeah. who you want to play uh, short or second. Yeah, that's unbelievable. All right, we've got a couple of listener questions here before we get out of here. TJ McPhee has two questions. He says, happy holidays, gents. 
I'm wondering uh, where the Sox are going to find innings next year. Me too. Uh, he says, how can we reasonably expect, uh, how much can we reasonably expect from the duo of Sale and Paxton? Uh, and then his second question says, are they going to add anybody of significance to this rotation before opening day? The market seems really thin and uh, the market just got thinner with the Evaldi going off of it. So let's talk about the first one. Um, Bob, what would be your your high mark and your low mark for the combination of Sale and Paxton? Um, well, low mark is zero and th- that's for real, right? I mean, they, yeah, no, there's been legit. multiple seasons they've thrown zero and Paxton threw zero innings last year and sailed through five. So that's the downside. Um, I would say upside 150 from sale and 120 from Paxton. So the, I would say the best that you're going to get is 270 out of the two of them. Um, I think think that Paxton in the bullpen so 150 and plus 80 makes the most sense if they can get 230 out of the two of them I think that's an ideal uh, break-even point what about you Keaton that's almost identical to what I was going to say I had Paxton pegged for 80 and sale what was that like 120 130 so uh, pretty much right in line with Bob there uh, I had sale at 150 and Paxton at 100, so 250. So I was Mr. right in Optimism line with, over there. With, with both of you two guys. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think they will add Corey Kluber to this rotation before opening day. Who do you think they'll add, Keaton? Um, is that somebody of significance? Yes. He was okay. worth three wins last year. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That feels like the only option left in free agency, right? Otherwise, Other than Waka. Yeah, I guess those are the only two of significance. I guess I hesitate to put Waka there because, I mean, he's really only done it once. Kluber at least has a much longer track record. I feel much better about Kluber. Yeah. Um, You're not going to say Pablo Lopez? Well, no, I mean, I am, but I mean, I mean like, <laughs> Kluber's really... As far as free agency goes, he's the only one. Otherwise, right. it's going to have to come via trade. Um, so, yeah, I would really like Pablo Lopez again. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm done being optimistic, but I I think that there has to be a trade coming, and that's the only way it's someone of significance. I don't think Kluber yeah. qualifies for someone of significance, but at 37 with a 434 ERA a year ago, I think that is uh, you know innings that you can count on more than – it's got to be a number two, and I don't think he's a number two. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, last question comes from House of Kuzu, and he says, uh, what do you think of trading Sale, Verdugo, Hauk, and $20 million in cash for Sale's contract to the Padres for Ha Song Kim and Luis Campusano? I would not do that. If you were the Red Sox or if you were the Padres. If I was the Padres, I would absolutely do that. Um, I would not do that as the Red Sox. Um, one, I mean, we talked about the sale side of that. Um, I'm also not going to give cash for someone to take him. Uh, and the Verdugo and Hauk are also still nice players. So um, Kim, I don't really, he's not really an everyday player, is he? 
Um, well, I guess he played 150 last year. Yeah, he he was a really elite everyday fielder for them last year at short because of the Tatis thing. Yeah, I mean, he's not someone I'm going to give that package to. He's going to be 28, or well, I guess he just turned 27. So it'll be 27 for the season. Um, and it's not the kind of offensive profile. You're basically giving up that package for defense. Uh, and Campusano just can't break through, so I'm not sure he's uh, really got the prospect pedigree we thought he did a couple years ago anymore. So I don't like it. Yeah, I don't. I think the sorry, go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I was just gonna agree with you, Keaton. I have no interest in this whatsoever. I think Sale's the best player in the deal, uh, even with all the uncertainty that comes along with him. I don't know why they would really want Verdugo. Uh, in San Diego, he doesn't really add anything for them. I get the arms thing with Hauk, who could go to the bullpen, and Sale, who could, you know, factor into their rotation. Campisano, I'm down on too. So I mean, I like Kim; he's a fine player, but I'm not. I'm. I'd rather sign Andrews than go out and trade a bunch of my pitching for for these guys. I feel like there's a deal in there. It's not that one, but I can see why Kim would be. Um, interesting because with Bogarts there now and with Tatis, even if he moves in the outfield, you know, that's someone is shortstop insurance. They have multiple shortstops and Kim has good defense and he's a decent OVP guy. He's 325 last year, 11 homers, 12 steals. Like I can see why that would be, you know, someone that you can have for two or three years to play a good defensive shortstop and keep story at second. And I could see Hauk or Verdugo getting traded, not both, at least not in that deal. I could see something around Hauk and Kim that could be a potential deal. But this one is too much that they're giving up. Yeah, that makes some sense, Hauk for Kim. Especially with the bullpen that they've built. I feel like Hauk obviously is very valuable, but that's, you know, he's got five years. Um before he's a free agent so he has value and he doesn't have a specific role and if you know if they add a starter he could be expendable just again we got to think outside the box because the obvious moves have all passed all right well that wraps it up for tonight um if you enjoyed the show please go on rate and review us on spotify itunes wherever you're listening to this show Follow us on Twitter. You can follow uh, Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow Bob at Bob Osgood fifteen. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. You got you an email follow... address to add. Yeah, we can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster, and we do have an email address to add now. Uh, Bob created an account for the uh, Red Seat Podcast. You can email us questions or comments at Red Seat Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, And we'd love to hear from you guys, even if it's just to say what up or whatever. Um, So send us an email there. Again, that's redseatpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a great uh, new year and uh, hope you had a great holiday season. And we'll be back in your ears in a couple of weeks. Bye.